Okay, thank you very much and uh, good afternoon uh, to everyone. I hope you can understand me well with this uh, mic here. My name is Sebastian Unger. I'm head of ocean governance at the Institute for Advanced Sustainability Studies in Potsdam and um, the IASS. That's a um, institute, a think tank that is funded by the German government and we are located in Potsdam, so very close to here and we are advising our government uh, with regard to all sorts of sustainability related issues and uh, the work I'm focusing on is on the oceans, so how can we achieve a better and a more sustainable use and conservation of the oceans. Um, the talk today is about ocean governance, so ocean governance, it's a very technical term, but by that we mean basically how we govern, how we um, set up rules, how we as societies collectively make decisions with regard to the oceans. And here we are really interested how to make more sustainable decisions so as to better protect the oceans. Um, so I have my talk structured a little bit differently, like, um, I mean, I want really to go through a, through a presentation with you. So um, in order, because we're quite a nice um, small group here, I think it would be nice to enter a conversation with you. So at any time of my talk, if you have any questions, please raise your hand and intervene, ask points. So I'm really happy also to go away from my presentation and just talk with you about this stuff. But unless there are little questions, I have a presentation to, to carry on through. So it's a little bit up to you how to, how to best use our time here together. So when uh, we went in a research um, um, cruise, a research trip earlier this year to um, Tanzania and to Madagascar, to some countries in the West Indian Ocean, to see how they're going about ocean sustainability at the moment, we met this uh, gentleman on the far right top. This is Ismail. He's a fisherman, a local fisherman in Dar es Salaam. He uh, provides his fish to this um, fishing market. It's actually a very nice place, place to visit. And he told us that in order to really sustain his living, he has, now, he has to go out up to 300 kilometers off the coast from, from his place and putting, putting really his life, his crew at risk. And out there, he is staying with these little boats. He showed us his little boat. It's, I think, similar size as my stage here. And he's staying out there for a couple of days um, and competing there with industrial uh, fishing uh, vessels from, from countries like, like ours here. So when we talk about ocean governance, so the way how we regulate the oceans, we really have to, have to ask ourselves how can we set up rules and implement those rules in a way that global targets and policy objectives that we have plenty of, and I will talk a little bit more about this later on, how can we translate them down to a level that can really help people like, like Ismail to sustain his livelihood and also to provide food to uh, local markets like the one in Dar es Salaam. So please let me repeat very briefly again why the oceans matter so much. I mean, the oceans is really, it's really the largest part of our planet. It's three-quarter of our planet is covered by oceans. But this is just the surface. We learned from uh, Marco's presentation how far it goes deep. And actually, 90% of all inhabitable space, due to the 3D space of the ocean, 90% is just ocean. So you can imagine a lot of space 
for species to live uh, and to 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 um, to um, also create food for, for, for local livelihoods that we heard earlier on, and also for climate regulations. The oceans alone absorb 90% of all heat. It's just going directly into the ocean. So think about a climate regime without our oceans. So a quarter of all CO2 is directly absorbed by the oceans. So massive um, role to really keep our planet so um, friendly and, and livable so that we as human beings can li live on Earth. This is mainly due to the service that the ocean is providing to us. Employment, very important. Employment um, in fisheries alone, there are 12 million artisanal fisher fishermen out there, actually compared to just 500,000 in industrial fisheries. So you can see really the importance of this small-scale fisheries. And most of them live in developing countries. So um, in some um, countries like we were speaking of uh, Tanzania or uh, Madagascar, those countries, um, they, uh, the coastal communities to a large degree really depend on, on, on the oceans. 2.5 billion um, people worldwide depend on um, proteins from the oceans. And this is much bigger Uh, when you go to small island developing states or developing countries. In, in some places, they, they really um, are fully dependent on, on uh, food from the ocean. But nevertheless, we have really managed to mess up our ocean systems. Um, the ocean is really in a deep crisis, and there's virtually no space left uh, on the ocean without uh, human footprints. So on this map here, um, you can see all the yellowish and uh, orange and, and the worst are the depth red parts, they really give an indication about the status of our oceans and half of our world's ocean is already severely or heavily impacted by man. But this is something that hasn't ha really happened overnight. On this, in this little film you can see how um, the global fishing fleets have expanded to virtually all places in our oceans and it started in the 1950s and now really up to the year 2000 all areas were completely um, um, yeah, fished and all areas are impacted by fisheries also. This is not just um, taking out fish but it's also having really strong um, and, and heavy nets being carried over the seafloor and destroying for example, cold water coral reefs and really life that is, that is not really needed for fisheries, but is just destroyed through those fishing practices. So when we are now entering uh, into the oceans with new activities, the one, so I don't have to talk a lot about deep seabed mining, that's a great thing having Marcos speaking in front of me, but this uh, map here gives you a, an idea of uh, the size of those activities that Marcos was speaking about. So um, here you see the coast of, of Mexico and, and these are the sort of Pacific islands and all these areas in the middle, these are license areas. So countries uh, like Germany but many other European and really industrialized countries have submitted um, claims or licenses for exploration to these, to these areas. So at the moment there is no deep seabed mining but those countries are exploring the possibility for deep seabed mining in those areas. And 
what they are looking for is in, the, in these areas, there are different types of, 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 of minerals, but these are the so-called manganese nodules. And manganese nodules, they're full of copper and nickel, but also gold and other things like rare earth minerals. And, and you all know um, that, I mean, these type of minerals, they are needed, for example, for mobile phones, for, for IT technology, etc. So actually quite an important link also, I think, to this convention here, because in a way, the way how we are shaping our future economies, the way how we are shaping also um, IT technology and the way how we are using those technologies is really a key factor for the future of our oceans. So if you're not managing to have better recycling rates, etc., for our um, IT technology, there's of course a much greater likelihood that these activities become economic, uh, uh, that they make economic sense in the, in the future. So when we ask ourselves what type of ocean governance is needed really to get away from, from this crisis, then I think it's very clear that we need to combine the conservation and the sustainable use. There's no way that we're not going to use the oceans given that there's a further increasing world population. So we have to find a way really to transform the way of what we're doing at the moment. We have to become more sustainable if we are to really, as human beings, to, to have a, have a, um, a future on this, on this planet. And I think this relatively complicated uh, endeavor is quite nicely shown um, in, this, in this little donut here. That's, I've taken this from, from Oxfam, this um, UK-based um, development NGO, and they have um, basically combined uh, what we have around here. These are the sort of so-called planetary boundaries, so some type of boundaries that we can't really exceed if we want to um, sustain living on our planet. And at the same time, in the middle, there are also needs that we as human beings have as societies. We want to eat, we want to heat, we want to live, etc. So, and we have to keep our system in between those two, two barriers in order to, to really um, have a sustainable future and a sustainable future ocean use. So, where are we at at the moment? Why haven't we managed in the past to get on this sustainable, sustainable pathways. And this has a lot to do with the topic of my talk, the ocean governance, because this year is actually the system, how we are managing the ocean. You don't have to really try to read all these little um, names behind these acronyms, but basically each of these little um, acronyms here stands for an organization like the one that um, Marcus was referring to. This is the International Seabed Authority. Here's one for shipping. Here's another one for fisheries. And we go on and on and on like this. So all these organizations are out there, but they don't talk to each other. And if we have an environment like the ocean where fish, for example, they're not really bound by boundaries or so, or pollution, I mean, is, is not confined by any jurisdictional or legal or political boundaries. I mean, it's just one environment. But the way how we govern it, it's really fragmented. There's very little um, interaction between those different entities. So we, we really have to find a way to reform the system. And there are two approaches perhaps for that. You can even switch the restart button. Let's do something really clever and something really new uh, system. Many um, people um, advocate for that. 
I don't want to say if it's realistic or not, but in my talk I want to really uh, focus on the, on the current political situation where we're in and try to see where are hooks that we can use in the current political framework to push the system in the right direction. So to get away from that to something better. And the International Convention on the Law of the Sea, that's the treaty that we heard about earlier on this, this very beautiful idea how to really um, use the oceans for, for, for human well-being, sets up a system. I mean, I mean this convention is a little bit like the, the, con the constitution for our oceans. So all countries work on the basis of this, of this United Nations Convention of the Law of the Sea. And it sets out a, a structure that you can see here. Basically, it sets out a zonation. Um, and the further you go out from the coastline, the less authority a country has. So here, I mean, 12 nautical miles, this is basically when you're in Germany, it's a little bit like the, within the Wadden Sea, their countries, they have almost the same rights to enact rules like they have on land. Then you have 200 nautical miles, it's a bit more than 350 kilometers. There, they only have the right to use the um, mineral resources and the, and the living marine resources, the fish, basically. And then you go out, and in the water column, so it's just the water, it's the so-called high seas, and the seafloor, the mineral resources on there, this is where we learned uh, from Marcus about, this is really governed to the benefit of humankind by this one authority in, based in Kingston. But this is the legal system, and you can imagine, I mean, from a legal way it makes a lot of sense, but from, a, from an ecosystem perspective it doesn't, because, I mean, how should organisms know when they sit here on the seafloor as a little, I don't know, just sessile little organism and then they, then they have some uh, other life stages and they go into the water column. How should they know that they're entering a different legal system? But this is just, just, just the system, how it's set up and we have to, to work with it and try to find better ways to really um, work with the ocean. And here on this map you can see basically all on this map here, all everything what is in blue, that's um, the 200 nautical mile zones I have um, spoken about, right? The, the red addition, that's the continental shelves that can countries, I mean, if, if a country sits on a continental shelf, they can also claim some extra sea miles and say, look, this also belongs to us, and we can also use those mineral resources on the floor. But everything what is left in white this is also what we call areas beyond national jurisdiction. That's the high seas, the water, and the seafloor. That's, that's the, the, all the minerals. And for these areas, it's almost 50% of our uh, world, of the surface, we haven't got a real good uh, a working treaty or re a working convention for all the countries co to, to work together to protect the environment. So what is urgently needed is a new convention to, to, to protect those areas. There are some good examples where organizations have started towards protecting those areas. And, and this is here in the Northeast Atlantic. There's a very nice example where you see here, this is the, the Mid-Atlantic Ridge. And the Mid-Atlantic Ridge is the area where the continental shelf, uh, the continental plates, sorry, from, from uh, Americas and, and from Eurasia are sort of um, moving um, away from each other. 
And, and we have here underwater massive seamounts. So from the seafloor, you have mountains going up four or 5,000 meters. It's all underwater. If you go there by boat, you see nothing. When you start to dive, you see what we also call the Alps of the deep sea. And they are extremely biodiverse, very productive. There's, there are massive fish um, um, populations there. There are species like these humpback whales, fin whales that, that go there. And when you go further down, you have these fantastic things like where you have hot water coming out of, of the seafloor or where you have um, some other type of underwater volcanoes with very, very special um, marine life. But, I mean, something like this on land, for sure, national park, protected area, fantastic, all, all well done. But out there, we haven't got a system to make a, a circle around it and say, look, this is protected, don't go there, this is so special. In the Northeast Atlantic, we have a, have, a, have a start for that. There are those countries here in Europe, um, including the European Union, they have worked together to set up this, what we call is the first marine protected area network. So they've set up those marine protected areas here, and they even managed to work with another organization to close them for fisheries. So these areas are sort of protected. Unfortunately, this only counts for the European countries. So if another country like China or Russia or wherever wants to go there and do deep seabed mining, this wouldn't be um, somehow limited by this protected area network. So we really have to go global. I mean, this is a start, it's a good start, but we have to find global rules that apply to everyone in order to make, make this place also safe in the future for, for those species out there. In addition to the, those examples, which I think are quite uh, promising, we also have a, have a good situation in the moment when it comes to oceans. It's not only that the society as such, I think it's fantastic that a convention like uh, Republica takes this topic up, but also in policy making, the oceans are really high on the political agenda. And it started very much in 2012. There was a huge um, UN summit, all heads of state and government came together in Rio. That was 20 years after the first Rio summit. This is why it was also called Rio plus 20. And they basically agreed two very important things when it comes to the ocean. It's really this point on, on how to protect the marine biodiversity out there in the open oceans. And there was a general agreement, a consensus that countries want to develop a legally binding agreement even for the protection of the biodiversity out there. This is one process. The other one is, um, you might have heard about the Sustainable Development Goals. That's a set of global, quite ambitious targets that the global community is signing up to. I will talk more about it in my uh, remainder of, of the talk. Um, and one of those goals about oceans, which is, is quite important. Let me browse very, very quickly through, through the rest of, of my uh, presentation. This new agreement um, that um, I was referring to for the high seas at the moment is um, being discussed at the United Nations. Actually, a series of four quite important meetings is now coming to an end in July. So all countries, hopefully by then, will have agreed on the main elements of such a future um, agreement. And this is about the, how to create marine protected areas, but also how to do environmental impact assessments of our activities, 
very important how to use those marine genetic resources out there. Many of those um, organisms um, there can be used, for example, for pharmaceutical uses, and there's quite a high economic potential in those organisms out there. But at the moment, it's really first come, first serve. I mean, who takes it gets the benefits. So we have to think also about a way how to share the benefits uh, among uh, um, the different countries and humankind as such. And it's about capacity building. At the moment, there are roughly 10 countries, perhaps 15, that are able to go out there to do deep sea research. So it's not really a lot. Um, and we really have to, 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 to create capacities that every, every, all countries um, can um, participate in those activities. Um, I will just go very quickly over it um, and to mention that we hope that actually by um, the end of this year there is a recommendation going to the, to the United Nations and then by the end of next year there is, a, is an agreement about the negotiations of such, an, of such a new um, agreement. So all in all it will take many more years to, in order to finalize it. Um, it's nothing that will happen overnight, it needs to enter into force but at least there's this process going into the right direction. And we have these examples that I was talking about early on, like those regional marine protected area networks of OSPA. Talking very um, briefly for the rest of my, my time about the sustainable development goals. This is, as you can see here, really a set of goals that is covering basically everything. It's about making the world a better place. It's about um, reducing poverty, hunger, it's about good health. I mean, everything is in there when it, what, what is relevant for sustainability. For us here, talking about the oceans, is this goal here, SDG 14. And why I think it's so important for the ocean health is because for the first time, the oceans have been included in such a prominent manner within the broader framework of sustainability. And it, this brings me back again to deep seabed mining because... If we want to protect the oceans, we have to create those linkages from things like responsible consumption and production to the oceans. If we want to reduce marine litter, these things, we really have to think about how to deal with our problems on land so as to they, they are not arriving in the oceans. This goal on, on the oceans, so our topic today is then again... <laughs> really sort of divided into many sub-targets. I'm not going into it in detail, but it's about reduction of marine pollution, sustainable fisheries. It's about also prohibiting harmful subsidies that are um, anyway are very often the reason for, for not very sustainable ocean uses. It's also about um, how to, to help building capacities in, in countries um, um, like, like in, in Africa. But the key thing I mentioned that early on for the oceans is really making those linkages very clear. And, and um, from what I, I was um, saying earlier on, I think it's very, very clear that and very important to, to recognize that we can only um, make progress in protecting the oceans if we're able to address those cross-linkages. To reduce marine litter can only be done by finding a more sustainable ways um, in order, uh, for the production and consumption on land. If we want to have um, less pressure on, on our fish resource, we have to find different ways how to f basically feed the world. If we want to have employment that is based on the oceans, we have to find ways that, are, that, 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 that employment is done in a way that is, that is sustainable for, for marine and coastal ecosystems.
So this um, June, actually, is quite soon, in a month's time, um, there's the world's first UN summit on the ocean. So roughly, I mean, they expect something around eight to 10,000 um, delegates from all over the world, many um, prime ministers, heads of states and government, they all come together in New York to now agree on a roadmap how to implement those SDGs for the oceans. And we have developed from our institute recommendations that are three really concrete steps how to best um, get there. They are not really a revolution, but they are sort of three, let's say, small steps to make the system that we have a little bit more functionable. And I think it's what is really important is that we need to have some type of baseline. We need to know where we are when it comes to things like marine protected areas, marine pollution, etc. Then we have our global targets, the ones that we mentioned in the SDGs. So we need a system to bring this together. Where are we? Where do we want to get in, in, in uh, 10 years' time? And how do we map the way in between? And in New York, countries will make commitments. So they go there and will say, we do this, we do that. So we have now a system to really put it on the paper, or we can get to a system, let's put it that way, where we would be able to monitor very clearly where we are and also provide some transparency to show um, whether countries are delivering. For the oceans, since it's really a connected network, it's not alone uh, sufficient if countries do something on their own, but countries need to work together. So it's very important to, to create systems where countries have a better cooperation or coordination between themselves. And this is something that cannot only help the ocean, but this is something where the oceans can even be a driver for better international cooperation in um, areas that are very often contested when it comes to, to um, international cooperation. So this is really um, the end of, of my talk, and I wanted to put this picture up here, which is... Um, taken from a, from a study that is coming out um, very soon, also on the occasion of the, of the um, UN summit by the International Council of Science, and we have been contributing to this. But I very much like this picture because it really puts the ocean at the center. And I don't want to say that the ocean is the most important thing, but perhaps it helps us really to change perspective and to think about sustainability and the way how we want to interact with our uh, with our sort of fellow human beings, with the, with the environment from an ocean perspective. Because as, as remember, most part of the, uh, of, the ocean, uh, of the world is oceans. The ocean really needs cooperation. But the ocean is also at the end of the, of the line. So everything ends up in the ocean. So it's something like an indicator how well we are really able to design a sustainable future for our planet uh, um, as such. And, and basically, in the middle, this is also where it comes down us as an individual person. That's also our, our own um, behavior, the way how we sort of shape our daily lives. All this really will play an important role, how we are, as human beings, um, are able to, to, to steer course to a more sustainable future. Thanks a lot, and it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sebastian, I think we have like three minutes left for some short questions, short answers, maybe, if there are any.
Thank you. Thank you for your presentation. Um, I was wondering whether you would be able to say a few words about what's your take on the role of Germany going into the SDG conference, uh, going into what is Germany going to push for within Europe, within the conference? Thank mm -hmm. you. Yes, very briefly. I, I mean, Germany is actually relatively active uh, with regard to this SDG conference um, and also with regard to sustainability as such. And I think a very nice indication is this. Can you, I mean, you all know this logo over there. I mean, basically all the different ministries in Germany actually are pushing the ocean agenda quite substantially at the moment. It's the Ministry of Research having created this Year of the Oceans. It's the Ministry of Development Cooperation that have just issued a 10-point action plan where they really put ocean sustainability and development cooperation really at center stage. It's the Ministry of Environment that are funding many projects in, in, in different parts of the world. So all in all, there's a lot happening at, at, uh, at this scale on the one hand. On the other hand, we also have huge problems at home. I mean, we are not really able to reduce, the, um, for example, the nutrient inputs into the Baltic Sea and to the North Sea. It's a big problem, all these inputs coming from, from land. We have also difficulties, whereas... I think roughly 30% of our waters are covered by marine protected areas in Germany. We have uh, difficulties agreeing management plans for that. So a lot has to be done um, at home, um, but I think there is um, the, the will um, and, and, and the oceans have a, have a relatively high, um, um, a high on the political agenda in Germany as such. Um, I was wondering if you see any uh, potential or quality in uh, on-land urban farming, for example, uh, uh, aquaponics uh, or, or stuff like that to take the focus off the ocean for you know, fish demand and mm -hmm. algae demand and everything and put it on land and, and, and yeah, get, the, get the supply from, from there. I think that's also a very um, uh, important question. I mean, at the end, um, I mean, that's where you're pointing, and it's, it's connected, right? And, and when we think about the ocean, it's very important to think also about solutions that can be found, found elsewhere. And um, I mean, when it comes to, to the, the food from the oceans, we at the moment, in this, I think last year was the first one we had, where we actually had more aquaculture than fish from, from wild fish. I'm not saying that aquaculture is this solution, But, but it shows that we really have come to a point where the, the system is not really delivering uh, all the demands that we have um, that are coming from land and, and solutions that you were um, suggesting certainly have to be seen in, in, in such, a, such a context here. But this brings me back to, to deep seabed mining. Sort of why entering such a new activity when we know the ocean is at this very bad status Why at all now entering into a, an, an activity that is basically just expanding the, let's say, the, 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 our economic growth model that is not working on land properly? Why expanding it now to the oceans? And why not sort of saying, okay, I'm not saying we shouldn't do that at all, deep sea mining, but I say, let's wait, let's keep, the, let's perhaps let this for the future generations to decide, but work on alternatives like recycling, a circular economy, and other models that we haven't, haven't really started to, to properly put into place. Okay, one last question, mm -hmm. then we're out of time. 
Thanks for that. How satisfied are you with the media coverage concerning the issues you talked about, or for instance, um, when it comes to microplastics in the ocean? I mean, it's always good to have as much media coverage as possible. Um, but I have to say, all in all, I'm quite, quite happy about the, the huge public interest in, in this topic. And, and there are many different um, sort of um, yeah, players, societal actors that are really now um, looking into the ocean. I mean, I think this, this meeting here and then this, this, this is a topic of a, of a new media convention, I think is a very good example. And there are other examples. I mean, today... Uh, an ocean atlas is um, being launched by the Böll Foundation um, that is now really widely distributed through different uh, newspapers. And I think there are many, many of these type of examples which I think are very good. And to perhaps um, finish this, therefore I'm slightly optimistic that we are able to change course because we know so much about the ocean as we have never known before. It's so high in the public awareness as it has never been before. And also the politicians, they really have it on their radar screen when we had the G7 summit two years ago here in, in Germany, it was the topic for Angela Merkel, Barack Obama, Francois Hollande. They were talking about uh, ocean sustainability and plastics in the oceans. So I'm not sure that, that it's being delivered, but at least it's there. And I think we are able, if we want to, we're able to deliver. Yeah, thank you very much, Sebastian. Um, also for giving us some optimistic yeah. <laughs> closing words and bringing this uh, really important issue here to the Republica. Even it seemed to be a, a side issue, but yeah, it's, it's always very connected with society issues and talking about what's going on, not even only in the digital world. Thank you very much Thank for you. being here.